Welcome to Wood Talk. Now here are three guys who might stop by to ask for a cup of slab. Mark, Shannon, and Matt. It's Wood Talk number 419 for November 20th, 2017. Now on today's show we're talking about cordless angle grinders, buying lumber without plans, and how to and how thick to cut your logs. Uh, today's show is sponsored by Bruso Hardware. Uh, you know those guys, right? You know, they just had no, a big old sale. No, tell me about them, Mark. I'm going to tell you about it. They just had a big old sale. If you're hearing this now, you've missed it. They make, they make <laughs> hot dogs, right? Hot dogs and... Russo brand hot dogs, yes. Assorted gourmet sandwiches. They're all beef. <laughs> Unless that's what they do, I don't want to hear about it because I'm starving right now. <laughs> well, sorry to disappoint, but they make fantastic hardware. Uh, be sure to check out Bruso's Photo Extra newsletter as well. It's a weekly update from Bruso dedicated to customer-submitted photos. Bruso's customers work on detailed projects including ring boxes, humidors, keepsakes, gun boxes, and furniture. And like Mark, a jewelry box, which is going to oh. be awesome. It's an excellent it source. No, no, I, I'm ad-living here. This is, oh. this is a real pro setup we're trying to accomplish here. Stop interrupting me. Screw it all up. <laughs> it's an excellent source of inspiration for your next project. The newsletter is short, it's quick, has great photos, and is delivered right to your inbox. To sign up, just visit brusocom slash photo extra. That's all one word, brusocom slash photo extra. Love the folks at Bruso. Love their hardware. I actually answered a question today on Friday Live about hardware and someone was having trouble with their doors are always crooked. And I'm like, you know, sometimes it just comes down to crappy hardware. You know, you don't necessarily (laughs) want to easily, you know, find an easy scapegoat. But seriously, sometimes if it's all flimsy and things just don't run true and you don't have equal consistent thickness on your leaves, like all all kinds of stuff can go wrong. So you only make the mistake once. That's true. And you realize this this ain't worth it. That's right. Crappy hardware ain't worth it. You need quality hardware. So that's why you go to Bruso. You get the good stuff. Sometimes, sometimes you just don't have skills. <laughs> Shannon, that's not you can nice blame to the say. Jeez, <laughs> <laughs> but that is true. Uh, so we also want to thank some folks who helped us out by supporting us with donations and recurring donations. So Daniel Beckley, Jonas Feliki, and quite a few folks on Patreon. Again, it's a uh, patreon.com slash wood talk. Uh, Benjamin Ackenberg, the dumbest woodworker, his words, not mine. Uh, <laughs> ben Barden, James Hewitt, Robert Murray, Jason Althoff, uh, Ciceratilla, Craig Rowe, Peter Flardo, Brian Hurd, and Chris Peterson. So thank you so much, folks, for helping us out. And remember, you can help us out, too, by going to patreon.com slash woodtalk, and you can get some cool little uh, kickbacks in return. But, of course, we'll mention your name at the top of the show, and thank you for your support. So thank I think you. we should uh, get to what's on the bench. What is on my bench? I'm in that, that phase of the project where I, I, I got over a hump. And you guys, you guys have this, right? There's a, always a project hump. It's something that like I'm not looking forward to when oh. I start. Some I, projects have multiple humps. Yeah, that's true. Some, some projects are humps. <laughs> the project itself is a hump. Yeah, lots of humps in life. Uh, so this one in particular, the drawers, the dovetails that were recessed behind that rabbit, that was just something that was on my mind. I was looking forward to getting it in the rear view and finally it is but once that's done now i'm finding it kind of difficult to move on because I, I almost feel like I, I should i'm doing a victory lap right now <laughs> so i'm like i don't know i can't get my brain on the next phase of this project even though it's not that difficult it's just like i feel like i'm just going to take a little break now so uh th- 
The drawers. I just made dovetails. Yeah. Woo! Felt felt so good. so good. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That that's that's how I was. See, doing we need it. video today because I was a raising the roof let there. Let me put my tails inside of it. <laughs> if you wanted to see a really really white boy raise the roof, now would have been a good time for video. Well, that's what this show is good for. That's probably Three why very we don't have white boys. Today. Oh, you know what, guys? We've reached, we've reached an actual milestone. We've like made a reference to something that I actually know. Oh, hey, really? That's right. Woo! Look at that. Look at you. You're, wow. you're such a big boy. Oh, <laughs> ah, I'm so old now. Yeah. Oh. All right. Well, that's about it for me. Honestly, it was just those dovetails. I feel good about it. Got a lot of feedback. Like, why don't you just cut off the drawer front and do through dovetails and then glue the drawer front back on? And I'm like, because uh, I want to challenge myself. If that's okay with you, I want to do something difficult. And then they go, then they go like this. This is the best part. What are you going to do for the rear uh, where the, you know, the the real part of the drawer hits the sides? What are you going to do for that joint? And I'm like, dado. (laughs) i feel like i've already shown off in the front i don't need to show off in the back too super glue and duct tape (laughs) i'm done now you you could buy wood grain duct tape come on i should hope they make it in mahogany uh but that's it for me shannon what do you got going on wow what am i doing um (laughs) (laughs) it's just it's just weird that i'm second i usually go third I don't know. I don't know what to do. Sorry to screw um, you up. Someone's doing the notes all weird today. I actually yeah. didn't even write myself in there, so I guess I'm not talking yeah. today. <laughs> anyway. Here. Yeah. Um, I Tomorrow at 2 o'clock, I will be finishing up my perch stool. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm doing that last live broadcast at 2 p.m. tomorrow. Uh, I'm looking at it right now. It's purdy. It's got three legs, and I carved up the seat, and I took a card scraper to it and kind of refined it. Um, have you guys seen the uh, chair scrapers that uh, – Bearcat wood makes no. I got one of them. They're nice. They are awesome, awesome. I mean, I've used you know card scrapers and stuff to finish up a Windsor seat before, and I used a gooseneck one before. But this just has just the right curves. It's got all the right curves in the right place. <laughs> just how you like your <laughs> scrapers. It does and, have like a really like odd looking shape. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it does a fantastic job on the hollowed out part of a seat. So I got all that smoothed out and pretty. I got my stretchers turned and I'm ready to just start boring compound angle holes and stuff tomorrow and glue it together, wedge it everything in place. But, you know, I've just been been kind of sitting on it, even though the, you know, the legs <laughs> poke up through. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's posturopedic right now because the legs poke right through. But Woo! it's so comfortable, <laughs> like the way it tilts forward and everything. It, it just lines your back. It makes it nice and comfy. So I'm excited to finish up. But speaking of humps and projects, I was turning the the second stretcher and my lathe broke. What? Like my my fancy Barnes lathe, it just snapped. The um, cast iron, uh, the the pedal assembly, it's an, an, an axle with three pedals on it kind of offset. And the axle runs through this piece that uh, is actually bolted to the side. And you can raise and lower it to kind of add tension to the chain um, chain ring that powers the flywheel. That one on the right side, it just snapped. Just poke right through. I'm just pedaling along and all of a sudden, bam, like the whole bottom. It's like dropping your transmission at 60 miles an hour. Jeez. The entire axle just dropped out of the bottom of the lathe. And, I mean, after crying for a little bit, um, <laughs> I went down and... It's just, it's like a clean break. It's the, it's a cast iron loop that just is now a cast iron C. There's no bottom at all. And I was looking like through the shavings on the floor and I couldn't find like, where is the piece that broke out? And as I got to the bottom of the shavings, there is a fine pile 
of ground dust, like black <laughs> dust. Oh, no kidding. <laughs> Obviously, it's been rubbing. So you just wore the crap out of it. I just wore right through the damn thing. So, um, I, I mean, it was, I'll be honest. I was really upset. I mean, this is an antique lathe. This took me a long time to find this with all the parts. But the more I think about it, um, I'm kind of excited now because that was always a part that was a little bit wonky. Like the axle could slide back and forth. And that's obviously what happened. There are these um, kind of couplings that go inside the cast iron piece that broke. Mm -hmm. And the couplings would always slide in and out. And obviously the couplings are meant to prevent rubbing. But they don't stay put. And it allows for side-to-side motion, which causes the whole lathe to rock. And the one that I first started working with at the Stuffingstone Museum didn't have that problem. And I found out later it's because somebody actually welded the couplings into the little <laughs> arm brackets. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking, you know what? I'll I should do have it. done that. But then it occurred to me, this is a great opportunity to actually make this better. Um, so I'm going to try to make it pretty at the same time because it is a beautiful lathe. It's got you know cool lines. It's got racing stripes on it, for God's sake. Um, so I think I'm just going to start with, um, you know, not pretty just to kind of work out the function and, uh, see if I can't actually shore up the whole mechanism and make it run even smoother. So I'm, this is a day later. I'm trying to be positive at this point, (laughs) put a positive spin on it. But, um, I don't, it, first I was thinking, I'm just going to find a machinist and have him do it for me, but I think I'm going to give it a shot. Not much of a metal worker. I don't have a welder. Mm -hmm. I think uh, Matt's got seven or eight of them. Oh uh, yeah, come on yeah. over. <laughs> Matt is to welders <laughs> as I am to lathes. So, um, so I. But you know, we've got a we've got a welder, and um, our mechanic at the yard is a certified welder. So if I just have, hey, I need you know, here, here, and here, he can do that for me at the at the office. But nice. Um, so I don't know. I'm gonna I'm gonna play around with it a little bit and see if I can't put some sort of internal coupling that the axle actually slides into. Because right now, the way it's set up, you can't actually take the axle out. Um, it doesn't move far enough side to side that you can actually come out without undoing those little brackets. So, but I think I can even tighten it up even more and take the play out of it. Anyway, it was, it was, it's, it's an exercise in positivity because it was really upsetting. <laughs> well, I can imagine, but you know what? At least you've got those sweet beefy thighs now. Oh yeah. From all that Thank exercise. You. Well, you know, you at, that at the same off. time, at, at the same time here, I, I bought a new exercise bike. If you guys are familiar with Peloton bikes, I bought one of those like a couple of weeks ago. So I've been like in spin class every day. So mm-hmm. yeah, I can turn the crap out of my lathe right now. Yeah. You're a regular Gilligan. Look at you. But it's, it's bad timing because it's like Christmas season and I always turn so much stuff at Christmas. So right. gasp, I might have to plug in my lathe. <gasps> uh oh, That's terrible. Well, I mean, you can turn, you could technically turn like a pin because I have to turn a bunch of pins for the office. You can't really turn one of those on a spring pole lathe. I could figure it out using a mandrel, but Come on. I've got a jet mini lathe sitting in the other room. I'm just going to yeah, go bring it in. Just plug it in. Plug it in. Plug it in get them done, you know, and move on. But yeah, with, with all the lathes I have, I'm going to have to bring an electric lathe into the shop and and the shop will cry. Poor guy. <laughs> I know. It's tough. I'm going to have to figure out where the plugs are in here. I haven't used one in so long. Yeah. It's one outlet in Shannon's shop. <laughs> yeah. And it's got like a battery charger for the camera. Right, right? Yeah, for his gear. Uh, Matt, what do you got going on? I had kind of a similar experience to Shannon this week uh, and kind of a little hump thing, I guess this, this high boy project definitely is like, it's a hump in itself, mm-hmm. but that's for definitely sure. Um, but so this week I was doing the, what I thought was going to be the last bit of the gooseneck molding installation. So I got the goosenecks installed. That's fine. And what I thought was gonna be like the really fast part, which is like the long cyber turns. 
you literally just have to like mire them and then like glue them on the case and you should be done. So <laughs> I did. So I got to that point and I went, I, st- I cut my first mire to see like where I'm at. If I'd like tweak it at all. And I'm like, this is really far off, like really, really far off. <laughs> and then I realized, Oh no, I made the goosenecks a little wrong. <laughs> so, and they're already attached to the case and there's no way in heck I'm going to go back and change those. So what I ended up doing incorrectly on the goosenecks was as they come down off of the top of the case, as they come down to the side of the case, they don't actually curve enough to be like parallel to the ground or perpendicular to the side of the case. So the side of the case actually intersects the goosenecks at a curve. So if you were to line the side return up to the top of the case and slide it forward, it's actually like a half inch too high to intersect at the tip of the gooseneck. Mm-hmm. So what I'm going to end up having to do is cant the side return out at an angle so that it's actually like not square the case, which is going to be kind of weird. Yeah. But I, I mean, I'm happy I have that like solution in my mind now. It took me a lot of like cussing to get to that point of like, oh, this is really isn't that bad. It's going to take some work to fix it or whatever, but at least I have like a path to get done yeah. and it'll be fine. But I was like, so excited to be finally done with these things. Like, oh, this will be the easiest part. Here we go. I can literally slap it on the case and just do a little bit of like finessing and mm-hmm. then I'll be done. <laughs> I was looking forward to this point because I Man, know it's the easy one. That sounds then, yeah. super stressful. And then you're like, nope. <laughs> so, uh, Not so fast. Yeah. So I got to glue some more stock onto my, um, my returns and then cut a bevel on the bottom of them. And then I should be good to go. Are you <clears throat> like documenting this, like everything as far as the mistakes and things like that? Oh yeah. Uh, so the, the cyber terms is going to be part of this Friday's guild video. Um, but when I got to that point, cause I was like, I, I shot that video. Like I showed how to blend the, the, um, the profiles together. If they don't match perfectly, which is exactly the same process you would do on the cyber terms. Mm-hmm. So I could like kind of go through the cyber terms pretty quickly and tack that onto that video as a little quicker segment, like within like three to five minutes added to that video, you'd have all of the returns added and all the molding will be done. But now I'm like, well, this isn't going to happen this week and I'm going to have to talk a little bit more. So this video is going to be a lot longer. So we're going to break this one off again. And I'm definitely going to beat your record on the number of videos on this (laughs) just by that alone. Nice. Yeah. That's the cool thing though. That's the great thing about these projects. You know, you run into a, a snag it's okay. It's fine. You just got to talk about it, walk your way through it and show people how you figured it out. I think that's, it's, you know, it sucks, but it's a, it's an opportunity. There's a reason I'm prototyping this and the people at home aren't. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Do it. So you don't have to, you don't have to, I go through this. I'll pull out all my hair. So you don't have to. Nice. I won't do that. I like my hair too much. You have beautiful hair. Really? Mm. Uh, all right, so let's get into what's new. Uh, we've got something here sent in by Bob. It's a link to a company providing flesh detection technology for bandsaws. They're focused on the meat processing industry, but there's no reason you couldn't apply this tech to woodworking, he says. So it's a big old thing, and it's called Stop Saw, I think, which is kind of funny. <laughs> Seriously? You know what I mean? Like, just <laughs> Is it really? You would think that would be impossible. No uh, hold on, let me let me bring up the link and see. So it's definitely oh, yeah, one of those big bandsaws. Like if you ever go to a, a butcher, like a, a Costco or something like that, where you see the butcher shop, it's just one of those big gray giant bandsaws. Oh, it's Blade Stop. Sorry. Oh, yeah. well, it's interesting. Since since you brought that up, I am going to launch a, a whole new online premium content site 
called uh, Whisperer Wood. Oh, that's good. <laughs> it's going to be it's going to be awesome. That sounds unique. <laughs> Yes. Fun and interesting. Uh, so here's the interesting <laughs> thing. Like, I would love to know what the actual sensing aspects of this are, because we're not talking about a wood cutting saw. We're talking about something that cuts flesh and bone. That's the point of this saw. How is it detecting your hand versus like a side of beef? <laughs> is it a proximity thing or is it like actually like contact thing? Well, even if it were proximity, you're still putting a f- flesh and bone. It It listens. Maybe you're wearing you wearing special go, gloves. Ow, it stops cutting. But are you, you wearing know. special gloves? Maybe? maybe it just like repeatedly asks you. Did as you read you're using the article? This, are you are you cutting meat? Are you cutting meat? Are you, cu- <laughs> are you oh, cutting your yourself? Does no, this did, hurt? I didn't read anything, uh, Matt. <laughs> does it just... hurt when I cut here? <laughs> does that hurt? Okay, should I stop now? <laughs> well, you're wearing. Should I? wearing these rubber Hal? gloves, so maybe it detects rubber gloves. Hal, stop cutting, Hal. You're cutting. Maybe yourself. it's the exact opposite of the of the saw stop. It's constantly running the current through, and it waits for it waits for rubber, and then it you know once it's interrupted, then it then it breaks. It also doubles as a taser. Yeah. You know, this is you have a very you're onto something here. I think, I think so. Mark. I think so, and that is a good workaround for the the whole patent issue. So, I think I've seen this before. Oh, here we go. It's in the video. It is a it's a proximity thing. Is Watch it? the video of Mark. Come on, dude. If dude. You're gonna, what, how, how does a proximity thing work, though? I don't know. You see the guy's got his finger. He gets like, like two inches of blade and it stops. All right. This isn't helping the audience. It's just a bunch yeah. of blood and guts on a bandsaw. That, I'll look that at music's that later. making them tap their toes. Come yeah. on. That's helping the audience. Beep, beep, beep. Like, All right. About a minute in, they show this blade stopping in case anybody wants to watch. Okay. Well, part. yeah. Go check it out and uh, ignore everything we just said. <laughs> a minute a minute after it started cutting the guy's hand, it stopped. Also, I have to mention this. Like... Nobody can complain about how he was a bandsaw anymore. This guy's literally throwing carcasses through the blade. That's right. Like <laughs> throwing, like just throwing the carcass through That's the blade. That's how it's done when you're processing meat, man. It's just, it's a brutal just industry. throw it through there. <laughs> uh, Shannon, you want to get the second one here? I suppose I could do that, maybe. Please. As soon as I, as soon as I find it. Oh, so yeah. Watching this, beat um, <clears throat> this is the, what, sent in for Preston. Preston. Thank you, Preston. Um, something for Matt to spend his Triton money on before he draws up the next project. So, oh yeah, I did see this. It is, uh, how do we describe this? It's, it's the Stupid? Elkhead tools drawing, uh, it's the Elkhead screwdriver of drawing tools. Basically it's, what is it? Uh, $1,200 for a set of drawing the, tools. Yeah. If you get the whole set. Yeah. Are these wow. like silver? Yeah, Something good. S- sterling silver. I'm looking at ivory. I, 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 you know, you heard that you is, ivory back into the country, right? Slightly oh, really? more acceptable. Well, if this is at Tiffany and it, there's a sterling silver ruler. It's six inches and it is $450. See, I don't, I don't mind this so much because it's like way more useful than those stupid silver spoons people buy. Yeah. That's true. You know, and I'll, you know, I'll give them that much. Get this. It says, <laughs> Tiffany artisans transform utilitarian items into handcrafted works of art. This shining ruler is elevated in luxe sterling silver and rich American walnut. And here's the good news. There's free shipping. So You know what? That's good. I, like, I don't really don't need these, but I would consider buying these. You're a moron. Okay. <laughs> Just because, you know? <clears throat> it's silver. You know, I would nice. if I'm going to spend that kind of money on something stupid, it's going to come from Bridge City Toolworks. It's basically the same thing. Kind of. Yeah, it's a little fancier though. <laughs> uh okay, yeah, so I think I think in order to quote Tiffany, mm-hmm. I think you're alone now. Oh, wrong. Tiffany. Oh. That's terrible. Matt has no idea what you're talking about. 
I was trying to something. bring it back into karmic balance and keep Matt in the dark. Yes. Thank you. He's more of a Debbie Gibson fan, frankly. Okay, so we got some kickback here where you guys tell us some things based on uh, previous shows. We've got one here from Lucien Lasaki. He says, hello, kind sir. Sorry to keep beating a dead horse, but I'm here to bring the horse back to life and deliver some cold, hard facts. I live in Portland, Oregon, and uh, we're, we're saw stop or close to Tualatin. To, to Oregon, whatever that is, where Sawstop was founded and is headquartered. I was speaking with the Sawstop representative at a local woodworking event and asked him about the TTS acquisition. He said that they had been very vocal from the beginning that Festool was interested in bringing Sawstop technology to their entire line of saws. A year, uh, a few years ago, I asked about future tools and they had mentioned a bandsaw and jointer for the future. They're currently working on the bandsaw and have working prototypes, including retracting blade and uh, don't quite have the reliability they want yet. Thanks, guys, for the endless hours of entertainment and for not quitting. Lucian, now he says, he signs it. I'm a 16-year-old cellist, cyclist, designer, entrepreneur, entrepreneur, photographer, (laughs) tennis player, and woodworker. That's a busy 16-year-old. No, no, no. You see, tennis and player have a column between them, so there's oh, a player. He's a tennis is, as well as a player. That is some dope. That's some dope kid right there. Yeah, he's 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 got some game. That's great. He's not a tennis player. He's tennis. Yes. And a player. And what I love <laughs> what I love best about this is his cold hard f- facts are uh, you know, no offense Lucian Lucian, but nothing more than, you know, we already knew. <laughs> It was like, <laughs> I've also heard that they're thinking about a bandsaw. Uh, the fact that they, anyone expressed interest in bringing the saw stop technology to their entire line of tools on Festool side, that's great. But how? I mean, if you think about what happens with saw stop and, and the, the force that it takes to retract a blade in a handheld tool, that's a little bit tricky to pull off. So I'm not saying it won't happen, but uh, I want to you know, see a TS-55 retract a blade. It's going to like break your wrist. Smack in your face. Uh, it's going to like retract. Oh, yeah. unplugged. So, uh, until we, until we see something, it's vaporware as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> uh, that's it. Like Shannon, that. you're up. Okay. This is from Dave. He says a couple of uh, a couple of comments kick back on the last show. First regarding horse butt strop. <laughs> I listened to another fine podcast about woodworking and the hosts on there have repeatedly knocked the use of strops, except for carvers, as they claim, uh, except for carvers, as they claim it'll change the geometry of the bevel and it won't be truly flat. I use the strop. It seems to make my tool sharper. Who should we believe here? <clears throat> <laughs> Let me just address that real quick. Uh, whoever you want to believe, because it's sharpening, and no matter what you believe, someone will say, you're wrong. You are wrong, sir. So, you know, yes, it does technically change the geometry of the bevel because as the leather, wait for it, spooges Ooh. around the chisel oh. or the blade, it is technically rounding the blade, creating more of a convex bevel. I don't that's, care. That's called something, Shannon. What's it called? What, spooge? No, oh, it's called dubbing. There you it's go. It's called dubbing. dubbing. It's dubbing. a little, little, little horse butt dub stuff. <laughs> dub, dub strop, dub stuff. Uh, um, so yeah, that dubbing process, it's, it is, it does happen. You can't deny that it does, you know, doesn't, that it, it's there, but it's so subtle that fine, you, you know. I'm cool with that. Look, look, look. <laughs> if there's one thing we can all agree on is that the guys on that show have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> right? I mean, let's be honest. 
I just <laughs> I I come from the school of sharpening of like whatever works, man, and do as little as possible to get to a sharp edge. Yeah. Other people really enjoy sharpening and really enjoy the minutia and pull out the hand loop and stare at the edge, and that's cool, man. There is a wonderful little <laughs> scary corner of the internet dedicated just to you. Just not I, one of those. I, I swear, I, I thought drops. you said hand lube instead of hand I lube. actually thought the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard of this hand lube. Oh, no, that's uh, there are some there <laughs> are some Amazon? sharpening forums on the internet where there's probably some mutual hand lubing going on. Just, never mind. So let's go on to the second part of this question here. <laughs> Dave, believe believe the sharpness of your own tools. You know, that's all I have to say. Oh boy, um, I'm not even going to tell you what comes up if you search for. Uh, if you search so, for hand lube on Amazon, <laughs> why would you do that? Well, because why? I wanted to see if I could buy it. Wow. All right. Sorry. Go ahead. Loop. L O U P E. <laughs> hand magnifying glass. Sorry for using a fancy <laughs> geology word. Lupe. It's not even a geology word. Secondly, as to the question around plans and Shannon's comment around them being a crutch for noobs. And after a while, you can just visualize what you're making and not need plans. Did you actually say that? Let me clarify that. I said, I wonder if you eventually can just visualize what you're making. It was an honest question. Anyway. Context. Dave goes on to say, I have literally no ability to mentally visualize um, a long story. Now I want to know what that long story is, uh, but found pretty much the same. First few things I made, I had to have plans. After a while, I sometimes had plans. Now, at most, I'll work off a picture, but more often than not, I'll just wing it. If it's particularly complex, I'll build a mock-up first, but normally, I just run with having only a very vague idea where I'm going and what it should look like. So Sometimes I fail big time. Sometimes I'm pleasantly surprised. It's no real point to this comment other than, <laughs> yeah, I mostly agree with Shannon. Wow. <laughs> I uh, should have led with that, Dave. Anyway, <laughs> after a while, you really don't need plans, and I don't even think you necessarily need to be able to see where you want to end up with. Ooh, dangling preposition, Dave. I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Who's got the next one? I do. <laughs> oh, today is a bad day out that video. You see me laugh on the floor. Uh, where are we here? Okay, this is from uh, from Wolf from Germany. Wolf? Well, why am I reading this? Isn't Shannon always read these ones? Talk <laughs> uh, anyway, here's some kickbacks. So to... What? Just ignore him and keep going. <laughs> That's what I do. Uh, yeah, I, you're better at it than I am. <laughs> uh, okay, with some kickback regarding the hybrid workbench, a German woodworker and journalist built something that you could probably that could probably be best described as a bastard child between the MFT and a regular workbench. Although I wouldn't call it perfect. No power strips. Well, it probably can serve as an inspiration for building something similar. You can find a video about it on YouTube, and there are plans available as well. Probably not in English or with imperial measurements, and he gives a link to that video. Not even look at it. I'm pulling a mark here. I'll go watch it later. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so we got one kickback here via voicemail from Ben, and it is also regarding the project plans commentary that Shannon gave, I guess, in a previous episode. I don't remember what the heck you said, but here it is. Uh, hey, fellas, this is Ben from Atlanta, Georgia. Longtime listener, first time caller, and I wanted to first thank you for your always generous contributions to the woodworking craft, be it in the form of digital media, written content, or 
your word talk shenanigans not excluded. I wanted to provide some kickback for discussion as it pertains to uh, episode 418 when you guys discuss the practice or, or really lack thereof of strictly adhering to one's project plans. Um, in particular, Shannon brought into question if the tendency for a woodworker to stray from their initial plans may actually represent uh, a woodworker's evolution of their own technical and design skill. I thought I'd share a different perspective and, and raise yet another question. Um, as an orthopedic surgeon, I've actually always embraced not working from a rigid set of plans and instead uh, enjoy creating and adapting as I go, working towards kind of a, a general set of predetermined dimensions that I envisioned. Um, a major source of enjoyment and also relaxation for me in my woodworking has always been uh, my ability to kind of revel in the fact that unlike my patients, wood doesn't bleed and uh, project tolerances are oftentimes <laughs> flexible and I can still produce a beautiful outcome, unlike <laughs> surgery. Um, if I'm doing a knee replacement and I'm more than three degrees off, I'm likely to have a, a poor outcome. And so woodworking has really allowed me to be much more relaxed and enjoy kind of a low stress uh, means to create and build and fix. So if I make a bad cut or a loose tenon or strip a screw, I head back to the lumber rack or to the yard and, and buy another piece. No big deal other than, you know, there is a financial cost associated with that. So with that being said, my, my kind of cavalier attitude towards precision uh, with my woodworking uh, can at times be wasteful, uh, usually of expensive hardwoods and what limited stock I may have and, and certainly can be very efficient. And so I, I've yet to be able to effectively work backwards from an envisioned end product to an actually, you know, efficient cut list and 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 a way to maximize my um, wood parts uh, being generated from larger stock. And so here's my, my parting question. In, in the absence of using something like SketchUp, which I've not yet ventured into, uh, have you any suggestions on how to best develop a, a cut list from a, a rather basic, rough, hand-drawn project plan? Um, any strategies for ways of laying out your plans as it pertains to the amount of lumber I should purchase? Uh, and also any any way to account for uh, predictable overages and material purchases that I may need to make to account for you know some some errors and maybe my cavalier attitude. Um, I look forward to your feedback and I encourage you guys to keep up the great work and uh, I hope you know that it's always appreciated. Thanks. All right. Awesome. Um, let, me, let, let me let me jump here real quick yeah, because we have an email that asks the exact same question later on in the show. Oh, so, no kidding. Ben, if you just want to hang on, we'll talk about it later. Yeah, we can do that if you want oh, to. Oh, yeah, look at that. Or why don't you just read the email or, or you know, summarize it real now. quick. Yeah. Yeah, fair enough. Well, let me first start by saying I'm really glad that he turned the corner there because he was saying, as an orthopedic surgeon, I like winging it. <laughs> yeah, I was like, that sounds accurate. Uh, please bring <laughs> this back I, around. That's what I want my doctor to say. I think we're just going to wing it today. As an orthopedic surgeon, I really like working without plans. Like, uh-huh. <laughs> And then when he said strip a screw, I got it. Ugh. Ooh, can you imagine? It went down my spline. The the three screws in my ankle suddenly cried out in pain. Did you say it went down your spline? Is that a Freudian slip for a woodworker? (laughs) Oh, boy. (laughs) Well, anyway, I'll I'll jump ahead. Do so. Um, This is – I got an email from Lamar, um, and he's referencing the same thing. We talked about using – not using plans, but using pictures and a sketch of design. You also mentioned we make changes during the project. How do you decide how much lumber to buy and what sizes? Is this just a skill you gained over time? I do the same thing, but I either end up with too much lumber, which is costly, and I need to find somewhere to store it, um, or I have to make a few more trips to the lumber yard because the change of design somewhat mid-project. Any tips or words of wisdom would be appreciated. Wow, it's like so, the exact same question. Yeah, it works out well. <laughs> so, Ben, um, <laughs> you were psychic in addition to being a surgeon who wings it. That's right. <laughs> so, um, I, well, first of all, I actually wrote an article for popular woodworking on this a while ago and, um, actually did a 
presentation at um, Woodworking in America on this exact topic. Um, I, the, the, here's the funny thing. I rarely find that a mistake that happens because I was, quote, winging it is so bad that I have to ditch a part. Um, so uh, there's there's not that much wasted lumber that's going on. So I will say that. Um, second of all, if I'm building a project, say I'm building a project from a photograph, um, I will still work up dimensions. You know, I have to know if I'm building a table how tall that table is going to be, you know, how long the legs are going to be, how long the aprons need to be. And I'm still kind of writing all that down because in the back of my mind, I'm thinking I need to have a lumber shopping list. So while there may not be like an actual written up step-by-step plan, I'm still building a parts list of sorts. Mm -hmm. Most of those parts are rounded up at least a full inch, um, if not more than that. And then I kind of step back and I look at, okay, well, to, to quote an earlier phrase in the show, where are the humps? in this, this particular project? <laughs> what are the potential issues that I'm going to run into? Or more importantly, from a design perspective, what's most important to me? So again, using the same example, if I'm building a table, the top is the most important. So what do I want? Do I want a really cool grain pattern? Do I want an understated grain pattern? Do I want a solid top with no glue line? You know, Leave that up to you. You have to figure out what that is. Then that becomes kind of my plan A. All right, plan A is to go to the lumber yard and I want to find a wide, you know, live edge slab to make my table. Um, plan B is what happens if I get to the lumber yard and they don't have that? Um, now, I would recommend calling around a little bit because <laughs> slabs are slabs are specialty items and usually dealers have slabs or they don't have slabs. But bad example uh, aside, you need to have kind of a plan B. <laughs> what if you can't get that full single board top, right? So what do I do? Well, I really don't want to glue up three boards. I'd rather glue up two boards. So I'm going to need two boards that are at least X wide and, and X long. Um, so that's your plan B. So you're ready to kind of pivot and not go, oh, crap, now what do I do? Um, through working through that and figuring out kind of what those important things are, then I would work down and go the legs. I really would like them to be riff song so I can get a cool grain pattern. So I either need to find riff song. Well, I'm building out a cherry. Good luck. You're never going to find riff song cherry. So what I need to do is find a thicker board of cherry that I can kind of cut riff song out of that by like rotating the blank in there and cutting at an angle. So then I, in my parts list, I'm thinking instead of buying eight quarter, for the legs, I'm now buying 10 quarter for the legs. So there is that parts list that's being assembled. And if you're, you're doing it thoroughly, you know, you've got that shopping list when you go to the lumberyard and you know that I need six boards of this and four boards of this and one board of this, you pretty much will nail your footage requirements. But then I look back further and go, okay, where are the potential issues? Where are the parts where I may screw this up? Throw another board in. You know, um, I, I may end up, I may not be able to get the, the legs the way I like them, or I'm going to carve ball and claw feet on this. So I better get one extra, you know, so I can maybe warm up on that extra leg building the ball and claw. Right. <laughs> you know, by the time I get to the second one, I'll be a little bit better. So I'll throw in that one extra. It's at that point that I plan my overage. Um, and if you're smart about the overage, because let's face it, are you going to screw up the aprons? Knock on wood. I mean, I suppose you could screw up the aprons, but unless there's something really, really weird about those aprons, it's for, you know, for squaring some stock and maybe cutting it to the length of a couple of tenons. Mm -hmm. it, that's, that's the easier part. And based upon your own skill level, you can go, I'm not going to worry about that. Or, oh, geez, I'm scared of tenons. Maybe I need to buy an extra apron. 
that that's where I'm figuring all that out. It's still a plan of sorts, but I think the point that we were making on that show earlier is we're not going out necessarily buying other people's plans. And definitely if there is a cut list, we're not trusting it. You know, Mm -hmm. I'm looking at those part sizes and rounding everything up dramatically. Yeah. Sounds good. I don't want to add anything to that because it would make it even longer. Um, all right, so and to be fair, that was a co-answer question last week. So I don't know why everybody's jumping on me about it. <laughs> they just like to pick on you. I don't know what it is. Uh, so if you want to send us kickback or a voicemail question, you could do that using the voice memo app on your phone and send it to woodtalkonline at gmail.com. And uh, let's do Shannon's lumber update here. Shannon's Lumber Industry Update. What's going on in the lumber world, Shannon? Oh, the only segment of the show where the intro is better than the segment. That's true. That's true. Jeez. Um, <laughs> couple, couple quick things. He talked about this, what, three months ago? Softwood tariffs were in the works and had been passed. Guess what? They're happening again. Softwoods are going to get even more expensive coming out of Canada. Um, looks like another 10% tariff will be hitting all of our Douglas firs and Alaskan yellow cedars and western red cedars and all that fun stuff. So, yay, look forward to that. Good news, though, mahogany, genuine mahogany, South American mahogany, Sweetina macrophylla, is on the rebound. It was listed as a CITES uh, Appendix 2 species back in 2004. I don't know. 2000-something. And, um, you know, CITES is all about restricting the trade so that things can rebound. It's not – when it's something becomes CITES listed, it's not endangered. Well, unless it's Appendix 1. Appendix 2 and 3, it's really – it's in danger of becoming endangered. So we we got to do something now to to keep it from – um, becoming endangered. So they did, um, back in the, in the early, in the early aughts. Well, it has had a major rebound and we've started to see the grade climb again. We've started to see the size of the trees get better. We've started to see just the overall yield looking better. The concession plans have been really shored up and genuine mahogany is starting to look really, really good. So for instance, the company I work for, we actually got out of it and we were like, a major player in the mahogany industry for a couple hundred years. And we walked away from it because we couldn't provide the same quality. We are now starting to bring truckloads back in because the stuff is starting to look really, really good. So that's a really exciting thing. This is, you know, I hate to say it's really the first example where CITES has worked. Not because CITES is dumb. It's just there hasn't been enough time Mm -hmm. um, for it to really make a difference. And we've really seen a, a massive shift in the quality of the material and the availability of the material. Now, obviously, you got to stay on top of it going forward. It is still a CITES-listed species, so the regulations are still in place, but it should only get better from here on out. So finally, some good news on the tropical wood uh, market. Cool. So let's go buy it all. Get it back on that list. (laughs) (laughs) Well, see, hopefully, ideally... That won't happen. Yeah. As long as it stays That's the listed, whole idea. The global, <laughs> yeah, the global export is still severely restricted, and it is it is much much more expensive. Mahogany was always expensive, but it's more expensive since it became CITES listed because there's an enormous amount of checks and balances that happen, mm-hmm. and in order to harvest it, you basically have to like give up a kidney and all this fun stuff. So, mm-hmm. um, 
it's actually working and it's exciting. Good. It's good to hear that stuff. That's awesome. All right, let's get to our email. We're going to, have to go through this pretty quickly because I'm very short on time today. A uh, question here from Jim Ashley. He says, hey guys, any thoughts or experience with the current generation of cordless angle grinders? Are they up to the task of power carving? I actually have one of these. I haven't, of course, tested them all. I only have a Milwaukee. And that thing is a beast. It is fantastic. I've done uh, the Maloof uh, rocker with that one. And like anything cordless, it's always a good idea to have more than one battery. If you have two batteries, you could kind of just continuously go. And most carving projects, you're not carving for like two hours straight. Uh, you may go for 10 or 15 minutes, you know, take a break, do something else, and you come back and, and readdress the part. Um, so with two batteries, you know, I think you're going to be fine. Uh, plenty of power. And I know, Cremona, when you visited, you actually used the the cordless for that. Do you find it lacking in any way? Uh Probably not for carving. I mean, I probably wouldn't want to have one to use primarily for like steel grinding, mm -hmm. but for a carving, you don't need a whole lot of power there. And I'm pretty sure the cordless one you have actually spins at a lower RPM than the corded ones. Okay. So it might actually be easier for a beginner to kind of pick that up and not have as scary of an experience if you get some of those serious carving tools on there. Yeah. Maybe not with the burrs, but like with the Arbor Tech or something, it might be a little more um, forgiving, maybe is a good word for it. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, it was, uh, like I said, it would, no problem with the battery, though. Don't worry about that. Plenty of uh, power to eat through just about anything. I think it's really more of a function of which cutter you have on there than the power of the, the tool itself. So I say uh, go for it, Jim. If you have your eye on a cordless model, go for it. Yeah. That having the core was kind of nice, though. I'll give you that much. It is. I mean, because you're moving in all different angles and moving around the workpiece to try to get the right uh, approach to the wood. So if you've got a cord yeah. th that you're dealing with, it's just an extra liability. Something to cut into. That it is. Uh, you done? I am done. Okay. <laughs> uh, I just want to make sure, you know, try to be polite these days. I As evidenced by my water. lack of speaking. <laughs> Dang it, Mark. <laughs> <sighs> this is a lot harder to do without being able to see you. Yeah, I know. Uh, okay, this is from Mark with a K. Hello. Which is kind of funny because... Okay, I'll, I'll tell a story some other time. We have more time. <laughs> Been following Mark <laughs> since his beginning as the Wood Whisperer. I enjoy Wood Talk with the contrast of experiences and tool preferences. I discovered Matt the Spring is only an hour and a half away and have been tempted to come to his wood sales. Shan has kept, Shan helps keep me grounded by showing what hand tools can do. I finally got my chainsaw mill, chainsaw mill going. I've been cutting ash into two-inch slabs, thinking I can resaw them later. The pros are that it involves fewer chainsaw cuts and thus saving time. And saving more of a log. The con is longer drawing time. Does Matt have any advice on cutting? I have a larger oak log with plenty of limbs, so I am excited to see how it turns out. Thanks for show and for the help. So I get this question quite a lot, and it's always like I never have a good answer for this because it's like, well, what do you want to make out of it? <laughs> so I don't know. Well, then I don't know what to tell you. Just make whatever. So I always like try and like steer people into the direction of like cutting them a little bit thicker you can literally always cut thin things smaller um, and resaw things it's really hard to go the other direction and uh, the downside about the drawing time you don't even know what you're going to use this for you got plenty of time <laughs> just stack it and let it dry and when you actually have an idea then you can kind of resaw it down further um, that is especially true and Mark makes a really good point with the chainsaw mill the cuts take a really long time so the thicker the stock you cut the the log into, the less time you're spending running that saw, the faster you can get through a log and you can get on for life. So, I don't know. Hopefully it helps a little bit. But, uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. 
That but sounds yeah. good. All right, yeah. so Shannon, you already did your email question, so we can wrap up the show now. Hey, hey! Hey! So if you want to help out the show, you can. You could just go to iTunes and leave us a review. Uh, look us up in the iTunes store. Click on ratings and reviews. Give us a five-star rating. We appreciate that. Uh, you know, any other podcast directory you use, if there's a rating system, we always appreciate a rating there. Uh, you can also go to TWWstore.com and get yourself a Wood Talk t-shirt and uh, Patreon, patreon.com slash Wood Talk if you want to help us out there. And Shannon, why don't you give them the contact info and we'll get out of here. I know I usually joke during this segment, but this time I'm going to be serious. If you have a hump project, I want to know about it. How did you overcome your hump project? Send it to us in any of the merry... Any of the merry merry things. Any of the myriad number of ways. See, when I try to use bigger words, it never works. <laughs> Send us voicemail using voice memo app. Oh, Send geez. it to woodtalkonline at gmail.com. Use our fancy contact form at woodtalkshow.com slash contact. Or just leave us a comment on in the show notes of this episode at woodtalkshow.com. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll catch you next time. Bye. Goodbye to you.